Thank you, Drew, for reading tonight, and thank you for being here. It's a messy night, but we're glad that you're here, and we hope that our worship together will be beneficial to you. We're very thankful for those of you who may be visiting. As always, we encourage you to come back and be with us at every opportunity that you have. We are looking tonight at 1 Corinthians chapter 16, and we are about to conclude a year-long study of key verses. I think next week we look at Galatians chapter 5 with regard to the fruit of the Spirit, and that will, if I'm not mistaken, that will end our study. As I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, Jared and I sat down and came up with key chapters for 2021. And so what we want to do is look at some very prominent chapters in Scripture in the next year. A lot of, really a lot of information contained in those chapters will not have the time to explore every single facet of those chapters, but we will hit the highlights and stress some of the great truths that are contained therein. So hopefully and prayerfully you'll look forward to that study. There are copies of those key chapters, I think, in the foyer, if I'm not mistaken. So if you want to get a copy of that, we would love for you to do so. Tonight as we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 16, let me just begin by saying in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 and 2, I believe we have a pattern set forth in the New Testament for our giving to God in worship. Now, I understand the background out of which comes Paul's writings in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 has to do with caring for the poor saints in Jerusalem. And Paul, as you well know, as were other disciples, interested in the poor. Paul, in writing, for example, to the churches of Galatia, talked about his concern for the poor in chapter 2. In Galatians chapter 6, you remember Paul would say that we're to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Then in verse 10, he would say, as we have opportunity, we are to do good unto all men, especially those who are the household of faith. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, 1 and 2, I want to submit to you tonight, this is a binding pattern for one of the facets of our worship, that being giving to God. Now, typically we talk about the other acts of worship. It may be the case that we haven't stressed giving as much as we should have. But nonetheless, it is an act of worship. There are five very specific acts of worship, as you well know. So what we're going to do is look at these two verses tonight in their context. Then I want to look at some remote passages of Scripture that I think will help us to understand better God's design or God's plan for giving. I want to begin again by noting what Paul writes in verses 1 and 2. Paul said, concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so must you do also. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. First and foremost, I want to talk about the command to give. And as we think about the command to give, as I noted a moment ago, this is a pattern for our giving. I want to go back for a moment or two to the book of Acts in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, you remember Pentecost Day unfolds according to Luke's composition there in Jerusalem, the church begins, some 3,000 souls are added to the body of Christ. Down in verse 42, the Bible says, And they continued steadfastly. 
in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship, in the breaking of bread and prayers. When you look at the four specific things that the early church continued steadfastly engaged in, you can make the case that each and every specific item noted by Luke is a reference to our worship, isn't it? For example, when he talks about the apostles' doctrine, that would have to do with our teaching, our preaching. Was that a part of the early church and her worship? Well, you remember over in Acts chapter 20, in about verse 7, the Bible talks about the apostle Paul and the saints in the city of Troas. In that city, one of the things that they did on the first day of the week was partake of the Lord's Supper. In that same context, you have the Apostle Paul doing what? Preaching the gospel. That would have to do with the Apostles' doctrine. And then he said they continued steadfastly, not only in the Apostles' doctrine, but in fellowship. The word fellowship, as used by Luke in this account, is found some 20 times in the New Testament. About a third of those times, it has to do with contribution. It might be translated, for example, sharing. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 6, Paul talks about, Paul said that those who teach, those who minister the gospel of Christ, he said, those of us who don't teach are to share or we are to provide financial remuneration for those who do teach. We'll look at that verse maybe in a moment or two. But then I want you to also note another passage of Scripture. Turn over to Romans chapter 15. In Romans 15, listen to what Paul says to the saints in Rome. In verse 25, But now I'm going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints. For it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia to make certain contributions for the poor among the saints who were in Jerusalem. The word contribution here. Same word used by Luke in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, koinonia. And the idea is, again, monetary contributions being given. And then look also at 2 Corinthians chapter 8 for a moment. I want you to just make note of these passages as we look at them in connection with fellowship spoken of by Luke in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. In chapter 8, you remember, Paul here brings to mind the Macedonian churches who gave according to their ability, but really beyond their ability, to aid those who were suffering or those who lacked in Jerusalem. So down in verse 3, he said, I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. Again, the idea here, financial contribution. And then look at chapter 9, 2 Corinthians. In chapter 9, in verse 13, Paul said, well, look at verse 12. For the administration of the service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also abounding through many thanksgivings to God. While through the proof of this ministry, they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing. 
Some translations translate this as distribution. With them and all men. Again, same word found in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It has to do with financial contributions. And then I mentioned a moment ago Galatians chapter 6. A form of this word is found in Galatians 6, 6, as I noted a moment ago. Paul said there, Let him who is taught in all good things share with him who teaches. And here's the idea. Contributing to those who preach and teach the gospel of Christ. Contributing what? Financially. Financial resources. All right, so in Acts chapter 2, in verse 42, Paul says that they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship, in the breaking of bread, that would be a reference to what? The Lord's Supper. And then in prayers. And of course, prayers were a part of the early church and her worship, as they are today. So you have a pattern set forth in Scripture, don't you? Now, we're talking about the command to give. Look again at 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Paul said, concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. The word orders here is translated command in Matthew chapter 11, verse 1. The Bible talks about Jesus in that context. When he had finished commanding the disciples. He left, their, he left them to teach and preach in their cities. So the idea is, here is something that is not, it's not a suggestion, but rather what Paul is saying is, this is a divine command of Almighty God, isn't it? There is a command invoked upon those of us who belong to the body of Christ to give of our means. So we have a pattern and a precedence, don't we? Paul here in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, again as he said, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also, binding this upon them. So we have, we have the responsibility of giving of our means every first day of the week. Now I want to talk for a minute or two about the criterion for our giving. I want to begin by saying this. Sometimes people view giving as a burden, don't they? The giving of our means should not be viewed as a burden, but really it ought to be a blessing. Now, let me ask this question. Does God need our money? Does God need our financial resources? Well, in one sense of the word, He doesn't. Why? Because the Bible says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. You remember the psalmist said many years ago in about Psalm 50. He said, the cattle on a thousand hills are mine. Everything ultimately belongs to God, doesn't it? So since everything belongs to God, what then does that make me? What does that make you? A steward. We are stewards of that which we possess. We don't really own it, per se. We're just using it as stewards. All right, so what then does the Bible say about a steward? Do you remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2? Paul, in writing again to the church at Corinth, said that that which is required of a steward is that a man be found faithful. 
All right, so think about it for a minute. We are stewards of certain things in this life, aren't we? We're stewards of our time. How much time do we have? 24 hours a day. We're to use our time wisely, as Paul would say in Ephesians chapter 5. We're to redeem the time because the days are evil. The psalmist in Psalm 90 verse 12 said, Teach us to number our days that we might apply our hearts to wisdom. In other words, use your time wisely. We're also responsible as stewards for our talents or abilities. Whatever talent or ability that you possess, God wants you to harness that and to use that for what? For His good and His glory. We exist for the purpose of ultimately bringing honor and glory to God in heaven, don't we? You remember Jesus, Matthew chapter 5? Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So we're stewards of our time, our talents, and then thirdly, our treasures, aren't we? That is, the things that we possess, God has blessed us with, and I understand that they, make, they are intended to be used as a blessing in life, but we're not necessarily to hoard those things up, but rather we're to use them for what? For the kingdom, aren't we? So with that in mind, I want to talk for a minute or two about the criterion that governs our giving. Now, I looked a moment ago at Acts chapter 2 in verse 42. And I mentioned there in verse 42, you look at those various things that are spoken of by Luke there. Each of those things constitute a certain sphere of worship. Everything that we do in worship is governed by what? God's Word, isn't it? You remember Jesus said in John 4 verse 24, God is spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. There is an absolute with regard to our worship. We are to worship God according to truth. Jesus said in John 17, 17, Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. So, that having been said, note if you would, first and foremost, according to Paul, there is what I would call periodic giving. Again, look at verse 1. Concerning the collection for the saints. As I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, Paul said, so you must do also. Verse 2, in the original language, now some translations omit the preposition every here. In the original, matter of fact, in the New American Standard Version, they render what Paul wrote in this way. On the first day of every week, not just on the first day of the week, omitted by the King James Version, omitted by the 1901 American Standard Version, which is really hard to believe. Because the 1901 American Standard Version is the most literal translation of Scripture. It is really considered the gold standard, if you please. And so in verse 2, what Paul is saying is, on the first day of every week, we have the responsibility of giving of our means. Now, let me show you how that word's used. In Luke 2, verse 41, we read of the earthly parents of Jesus. As they traveled to the city of Jerusalem, 
every year to observe the Passover. In Acts chapter 15, in about verse 26, we read of where Moses and the prophets were preached in every city. So there's the idea, that preposition, every. And what Paul is saying is, we have a responsibility every first day of the week to give of our means. Now, I know that some people say, well, you know, I'm only paid once a month. Would it be all right if I just set aside something one time a month? Well, think about this. If giving is a part of worship and we meet every Lord's Day to worship God, wouldn't it stand to reason we would want to incrementally set aside a certain amount so that we would have something to put in the collection plate every first day of the week so that we might be involved in that act of worship? So Paul said, we're to give periodically. But then note if you would, Paul said, on the first day of the week, let each one of you, it is a personal matter, isn't it? Note again, Paul said, let every one of you. There are no exclusions here. We all have the responsibility of setting aside something to give to the Lord. How often? Every first day of the week. Well, what, what then would that entail? Would that, would, that, would that apply to young people who receive an allowance? I mean, shouldn't they set aside something every first day of the week to give back to the Lord? If you have two incomes in a family and both are Christians, shouldn't the husband and wife both set aside something to give back to the Lord? Doesn't that make sense? Sure it does. What about somebody who's older in life and who's on a pension? Would they be excluded because they're now in the retirement years, the sunset years of life, and they're just on a limited in income, a fixed income? No, everybody, young, old, black, white, male, female, we're all responsible for giving, laying by every first day of the week. So there's personal giving involved. And then note also, Paul said on the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper. Let me just very quickly point something out here. The word storing here, we get our word treasury from this term. Did you know that? The church has a treasury, doesn't she? Every first day of the week, we take, we take our funds and place them in the collection plate. Why then does the church need a treasury to advance the kingdom of God? I mean, think about this. In order for the church to accomplish her work, the work of the church, singularly speaking, is what? Well, it's evangelism. Going to all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. Sometimes we talk about the three works of the church, evangelism, edification, and benevolence. And I agree, those are three 
set works of the church as found in the New Testament. But ultimately, the primary work of the church is evangelism. Everything goes back to evangelism. When we edify or build up the body of Christ, we do so with the intent of sharing the gospel with people on a broader basis, don't we? Didn't Jesus say, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations? baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And then he said in verse 20 of Matthew 28, teaching them to observe all things. In Acts chapter 20, verse 32, Paul here in this context is talking to the Ephesian elders. In verse 28, he'd instructed them to feed the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. In verse 32, he said, and now I commend you to God, to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up. The word able, as used by Paul in that context, is the very same word in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, that's translated power. Paul here is simply saying that God's Word has the power or the ability to build us up in the faith, doesn't it? So you've got evangelism, edification, and then benevolence. When we help other people, those who are in need, financially speaking, do we not do so in many cases so that we might gain an open door to share the gospel with them? I mean, isn't that the primary purpose? Now, I understand that there are some people who are in the church, some who are out of the church, and they've fallen on hard times, and we help them financially. There are people in the body of Christ that need our help. But benevolence can be used as a tool of evangelism. Matter of fact, I think it ought to be used as a tool of evangelism. So Paul said, storing up as he may prosper. So you think about how much you, how much you make on your job. And then you've got to decide to set aside something. You've got to predetermine. You know, the idea of coming into worship services on Sunday morning and giving no thought to what we're going to put in the collection plate, and then just opening our wallet or opening our purse, and dropping in $10 or $20, that's not biblical. That's not what Paul is talking about here. But rather, it involves purposeful giving, doesn't it? And the idea is we sit down, we calculate how much we make, and then on that basis we give back to God. Under the Old Testament system, the Mosaic Dispensation, the beginning mark of their giving was 10%, a tithe. And really it involved much more than just 10%. We live under a better covenant, founded upon better promises. The Bible talks about how God loves a cheerful giver, doesn't He? So again, it's an opportunity for us to give back to God, to view it as a blessing and not as a burden. So there's this idea of purposeful giving. And then think also proportionate giving. Listen again to what Paul said. On the first day of every week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. Now I want you to go back with me for a minute, or go forward rather, to 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. I want to, look, I want to begin in chapter 8. 
I mentioned a moment ago the Macedonian brethren that gave very liberally, even though they didn't have a lot of financial resources. They were very liberal in their giving back to, in their giving back to the Lord. There are a couple of principles here, I think, that undergirded their giving to God. Look at verse 5. Down in verse 5, the Bible says, talking about their gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints, in verse 5, Paul said, And this they did, not as we had hoped, but first gave themselves to the Lord. All right, principle number one here. One of the reasons why they were so generous or liberal in their giving was because first and foremost, they had given themselves to the Lord. A moment ago, we sang the song, All to Jesus I Surrender, I Surrender All. And really, the bottom line with regard to that song is what? We have first given ourselves to the Lord, haven't we? Second principle, drop down, look at verse 12. In verse 12, Paul said, For if there is first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has and not according to what he does not have. Principle number two, a willing mind. I don't know how many times I've heard Brother Billy say in class, we do what we want to do. If we have a willing mind, we can turn the world upside down, can't we, for the cause of Christ. If we have a willing mind, we will give based upon how, great, how generous God has been to us. So the two principles. First and foremost, they gave themselves to the Lord and they had a willing mind. If you give yourself to the Lord and you have a willing mind, you will freely give. Now turn over to chapter 9. In chapter 9, Paul here talks about some of the principles that relate to giving. In verse 6 he said, But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now look at verse 7. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart. Here again, this idea of purposeful giving, laying by in store every first day of the week, setting aside a certain amount to go to the Lord. But then note also, not just purposeful giving, but proportionate. He said, let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, 1 and 2 again. Paul there said, storing up as he may prosper. God doesn't expect us to give beyond our means, does He? But He does expect us to give. God expects us to give proportionately. If you have a lot, then you need to give a lot. If you don't have a lot, then you give a little, don't you? But you give what you give what you can, as God has blessed you. You have to determine in your heart 
You've got to sit down and decide how much you're going to give to the Lord every first day of the week, don't you? Some folks have a little and they, and they give a little. Some people have a little and they give a lot. Some people have a lot and they give a lot. Some people have a lot and they give a little. So here's my question. Where would you fall in there? If you have a little and you give a little, is God pleased with that? If you have a little and you give a lot, I promise you God's pleased with that. If you have a lot and give a little, God's not pleased with that. If you have a lot and give a lot, then God would be pleased, wouldn't He? I've used this example before, and I want to just very quickly make mention. One of the great benefactors of a lot of good work back in the 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s was a man that lived in Nashville, Tennessee, born in Hartsville, Tennessee. His name was A.M. Burton. Brother Burton founded the Life and Casualty Company in Nashville, Tennessee in about 1905 with five people. Brother Burton became a tremendous benefactor of so many good works. Marshall Keeble, for one. Brother Keeble was a great evangelist in the church for many, many years. Died in 1968, April of 1968. Brother Keeble was said to have evangelized around the world, baptizing some 30 to 50,000 people, had a part in establishing 325 congregations. Now you think about the magnitude of that work. Let me tell you who made all of that possible. A.M. Burton. Brother Burton was said to have given back to the Lord 90% of everything he made. He couldn't give it away quick enough. What that says to me is Brother Burton was a generous man, had a golden heart. There's something to be said for our giving. It says something about our heart, doesn't it? Somebody said one time, the collection is a reflection of our affection. The collection is a reflection of our affection. How much we love the Lord or how little we love Him. You have to decide how much you're going to give back to the Lord every first day of the week. I have known some people who were incredibly generous in the Lord's church. And they gave in an amazing way because they were interested in the work of the church. The work of the church here is benefited by those of us who are members here. The advancement of the cause of Christ, that responsibility falls upon whom? Upon Christians. Not on the world, but upon Christians. We give every first day of the week for a specified purpose, don't we? To further the kingdom. So my prayer for us is that we would evaluate our giving in light of what the Bible teaches. That we would give as God has prospered us. And remember, God loves a cheerful giver. Let's pray. 
Our Father, we thank you for this day, for the many blessings of this life. We thank you for the rich blessings that we enjoy in this life, physically and materially. And Father, we pray that we would be generous and we ask that you would forgive us if we have not given as we should. Help us to recognize that every good and perfect gift comes from above. We thank you, Father, for all the blessings of this life. Help us to live in such a way so that we might glorify you and one day be with you in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Tonight as we close, I want to, as we always do, offer the invitation. Understanding that someone might be here tonight who's not a Christian. The Bible makes it abundantly clear that God is interested in souls. Paul said, God's not willing that any should perish. Well, Peter said that. God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Paul said, God would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. If you're here tonight and you believe Jesus to be the Son of God, and you would repent of every sin, as they were instructed to do on Pentecost Day, confess the name of Christ before others, and then be baptized, and then be baptized into Christ, buried with Him in water for the remission of your sins. God will put you in the church. And then the exhortation is to be faithful until death. Unto death and until death. You live faithfully for God. The promise is the crown of life, isn't it? If you're here tonight and your life's not what it ought to be, you need to repent, you need to come home, you need to be restored, we would be more than happy to pray with you and for you and God will abundantly pardon. Why not come tonight as we stand and sing?